If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's completely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Strictly Sports. I'm Jacob Brown, joined here with CJ Yuri. Today we're going to talk about the NHL playoffs and we're going to give our NFL draft review. It's our first uh, Strictly Sports, at least, since we did the NFL draft preview. So, of course, naturally we wanted to give our thoughts on what actually happened in the draft. Um, so we just uploaded Strictly Hockey a few days ago. I think it was yesterday, actually, that I uploaded it. Today's Wednesday. Uh, I put it up on Tuesday and CJ joined Steve and Adam and I, uh, the normal uh, roster of posts on that show, and we talked about the Panthers and Lightning series before game two, and CJ, you were already kind of uh, not happy before game two, and now with a three-to-one Tampa Bay win in game two, the Panthers are down 2-0. You went to the game. To just uh, take me through what you're thinking right now with the Florida Panthers. Uh, you know, it's a it's it's really tough time right now just because I think we've been playing them really hard. We haven't been giving them all that much. I mean, you know, I, I don't really count like an empty net goal as uh, you know, where the game really was, but it was two to one. Right. Uh, one goal game, first goal, first game is a one goal game by all means, in my opinion, those are almost like overtime losses, right? So it's you know, each game has gone literally down to the wire, right? And it's just, you know, I just hats off to Tampa for, for always being composed and they come out strong and they got us in the first period with two goals and the Panthers fought back and got it to two to one and then just couldn't tuck one away in the third. Um, I will tell you last night I was really pissed. And if I was on this last night, I would have said the series is over. But when you really think about it, you know, tonight there will be, you know, tonight and tomorrow, there's going to be some teams that are that are down two to one in the series. And that never is make it make or break. So really it all just the whole season hinges on Thursday. Nobody ever comes back down from 3-0. You win on Thursday, you make it two to one, you have you have a chance. And you know, somebody in the Capitals and the Bruins series is going to be down two to one. Somebody in the Penguins and Isles series is going to be down two to one. So if you can fight back and be down two to one, you're just like other teams that are looking to claw back and you're, you're right back in it. So Thursday is the season. I do think not having Sam Bennett was huge last night. I, I thought the second line just didn't look as good. Um, you know, I think Wenberg is your, is your ideal line three center on, on most teams, maybe a line four on the elite championship teams. So um, yeah, we were missing Bennett. Missing Ekblad, it's really catching up to us now. Ekblad and the, if Ekblad was playing, we would definitely have some more bite on the on the PK, some more bite on the power play, and maybe some added scoring from the blue line. But you know, these are things that we have to put in the rear view. I, I don't think the series is over. I think there's a there's a hill to climb right now, and then that that mountain would be insurmountable if they lost on Thursday. Yeah, no, I mean, listen with the with the Panthers, I said it on the hockey pod too. Um, it's disappointing that. You know they're they're probably not going to advance. I mean, I don't want to put the damper on it now, but no, I mean it's a probably not right now. You're down too right, right. It's, so it's, it's, it's just disappointing because 
I think they're better than a hell of a lot of teams in the NHL right now. I think going into next year, they're going to be a strong division favorite to be one of the top three seeds in uh, what is it usually called? So it's the Metro and then the Atlantic division is what it's normally called. So I think the Panthers are almost, I think it's them, Tampa, Toronto next year in that Atlantic with Boston on the outside, which by the way, I want to get to Boston in a second about their depth issues, which I didn't even realize how bad they were until uh, a few days ago, but um, the Panthers are a really well-constructed team. I'd love to see them face the Capitals. I'd love to see them face the Islanders and some of these other teams, but lightning are tough. And I'm not saying, you know, we, we discussed that as well in the hockey pod, which, you know, it's not like they got screwed necessarily. I made that, that comment that they got screwed. You're going to play a tough team eventually, right? It's the, it's the Stanley cup playoffs. You can't just go whine and say, Oh, we had to play the lightning, blah, blah, blah. Um, they fought hard again. Um, but there were a lot of periods in that uh, during that game where Florida was almost completely shut down. Uh, Lightning had uh, they were keeping them out of the offensive zone. Uh, they were stopping them in the neutral zone. Florida really couldn't get a lot going unless Barkoff was on the ice, um, and that really showed last night. And you're right, Sam Bennett hurt. Um, they had to play with 11 forwards, but so did Tampa Bay. They also played with 11 forwards, so it kind of evened itself out in that regard. But um, I think Florida, they're still in it. Like you said, you get it to 2-1. It's a completely different series. You kind of forget about the first two losses, and you say, hey, you know, we win game uh, the next game. We tie the series up at two, and it's a totally different outlook and a totally different feel for that, for that uh, team. But going into Tampa three games in a row is going to be really tough. And to stay in the series, you might have to take two out of three because going back to BB&T down 3-1 might be a really tough ask. Or, you know, that's what the situation ends up being. So um, the other series that we have right now, the Pittsburgh Penguins went up, excuse me, they tied the series with the New York Islanders 1-1, but they won 2-1. Um, Is it three straight games in, in Tampa? I believe so. I could be wrong unless they change the format. So well, I, it's all, I, I thought it was always, it's always 2-2-1-1-1. Two, two, one, one, one. It's like. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So it is. So two, yeah, you get these two totally wins. Different. Yeah, if you can get these two wins in Tampa and bring it back home, like, damn, right? Yeah, I'm thinking about. And then we have the decisive game two. seven. I will say before we move on to the next series, I do think that the Panthers' their X factor right now is the fact that Dreger looked really good last night, and he only let up two goals. And those two goals, in all honesty, Anton Strawman actually kicked the puck in the net pretty much. Yeah. Awful play. I so really, bad. It's just such a bad play. And then the other one, yeah, it just it just bounced around, and uh, Dreger probably wishes he could have had that one back, just like. Bassey probably should have had that Marchment goal back. Um, so if you know, it, it's it's just so close. So if, if the Panthers can look at look at this and go, hey, we didn't have Bennett, we weren't on our A game in our top six, missing our line two center. We have our goalie. Let's go. We can we can win this because, in my opinion, and I you know I don't think that Steve would um, disagree with this. I really think that Hedman is not one hundred percent right now because he just looks like a shell of what he was last year and the year before, because I've seen the guy play live a couple of times. He's unreal. He's, he's insane. And I just don't think he is full go right now. Cause I do think that if he was fully 100%, like a couple you know, yesterday might've been more like three or four to one uh, than it was two to one. So I do think the Panthers can hold, can hold their heads a little high here that they found the goalie for the series. And now it's really just up to put some goals, put, if you can, put some goals in the net for Vasilevsky. I think Dreger is really good playing with the lead. He's, he's, he's very solid. He's not going to give up rebounds. And last night, if you saw any of his rebounds, 
He was, he is so much different than Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky will give out a rebound and it will be put into the slot. Dreger's rebounds are kicked to the corner. And I'm like, this is just so different. It's just a 180 difference. But anyway, that's that. I do think that Thursday we get the win and we we claw back the big, big, big game would, would then be on Saturday because three, one is so tough again. Like you said, right. If you can, you know, they're going to be desperate, man. Like Tampa is going to have to play a desperate, desperate hockey team. And that's never, that's never fun. But again, and and, and Florida has the ability to put up goals quick that they have a great offense with a lot of talent. Mm So let's not just act like they lose two games in a row, one by one goal and one basically by one goal uh, that they're somehow, you know, completely out of it. They're still a great team. And, I want to talk about something that you totally didn't say uh, publicly about Keith Yandel uh, last night. So uh, what, what, what are your thoughts on the Yandel uh, saga in Florida right now? It's just, it's, it's so frustrating because he's, his cap hit is just insane this season. It's like 6 million, uh, you know, cap hit, which is just so frustrating. I mean, the next two years on his contract are 1.2, 1.3 cap hit uh, or something like 1.4. That's just a fraction of what it is this year, but it's just, it's ridiculous. And the, the thing is, is the highest paid player in the franchise right now is Bobrovsky and Q benches Bobrovsky. So why he's not able to bench Yandel, I don't understand. Because the Ironman yeah. streak does not count in the playoffs. Everybody knows that the Ironman streak does not count in the NHL playoffs. It's only regular season. Yeah, so yeah. if there is a time to sit Keith Yandel, it is tomorrow night. And if he does not get sat tomorrow night, A, I have said this, on Twitter, the franchise does not care about winning because that has got to be a, a higher ups thing that are making that are ensuring that Q plays Yandel, and B I just or B Q has just lost it because the guy can't play. I mean he he is so brutal. He is so unbelievably brutal out there. He can't run the power play anymore. He doesn't score. He doesn't hit. I don't know what his I don't know what his value is other than he's fun in the locker room, which that's not going to win you games. Right. No, it's not. You're, there's a perfectly capable defenseman on the taxi squad, Kevin Connaughton, that I would love to see him play. He's grit. He's got size. He's like 6'3". He's a big body. He's got a big slap shot. He's he's a stay-at-home defender. I think that you can you can take a goal off the board if he plays in front of Keith Yandel and Anton Strauman because that's just how bad. Those two guys combined for both of the freaking goals. They were both on the ice yeah. for those goals. Right. Right. So you can put Kevin Connaughton in there and you go, Hey, Connaughton, we're stay at home D. We'll pair you up with Montour. We'll pair you up with Gudis. We'll pair you up with, with, with new, new Devara, who they'll let them skate. You stay at home. Right. And I think that that, that, that is what I would do. For, you know what I mean? But I do think that the team right now, their, their mentality is in the locker room. We get Sam Bennett back. Screw these guys. Our season's not over. And then honestly, the Panthers are a team where they'll slump like this year. They went on two or three runs where they lost three in a row. And the second they got back in the win column, it was all systems go again. And I think that right. they get back in the win column and they get that confidence. Like we did it. We got a playoff win. We can do this. You know, you, you might think you might see the series shift. So it's all momentum swings. It, it so. really is. I mean, that's what the playoffs are about. It's tougher to do on the road. So we'll see. Um, but again, it's not over yet. It's the Stanley Cup playoffs, it is definitely not over yet. So the next series we have to talk about here, we got the Isles and the Penguins. Again, mm-hmm. like I said, Penguins tied it up at one game apiece with a two-to-one victory at home. Um, and now they're going to go to Nassau for the next two games. Tristan Jari, I was worried about him a little bit. How would he do in the playoffs? 
as the, you know, the sole starter, 37 saves last night. That's a big deal. Um, and then Josh Bailey with the only goal assisted by Brock Nelson goals for Pittsburgh were rust and Jeff Carter and then McCann and Kapanen on the assist sheet. So Sidney Crosby, not even getting involved offensively. They're still away, uh, able to come away with a two to one victory. Tristan Jari was standing on his head uh, with 37 saves. Uh, this is a series that I think is going to go back and forth. Um, the Islanders are a team that doesn't go away. The Penguins are too experienced to lose multiple games in a row. I think that, well, they can lose multiple games in a row, but I'm saying I don't think they'll lose three games in a row, four games in a row. So I think this is going to be back and forth. I think it's going seven games. And these first two games, one of them was in overtime, one goal game. This one, another one goal game. So very tight matchup. Uh, both teams right now. Uh, now, Pittsburgh, t- the, I don't know how this happened, but they had the most goals per game in the division out of all the uh, Eastern division teams. So I always knock them for not being able to score because if you look at just the name power, you're like, well, outside of Crosby Malkin, what do they have? They kind of play as a team. That's exactly what the Islanders do. So that's why they're perfectly matched up. Um, but I do think with Pittsburgh's age, Crosby's been doing this year after year after year. Malkin's going to come in hobbled. He still hasn't played a game yet. The Islanders are big and they are physical. I wonder, are they going to wear down on the Pittsburgh Penguins if you do get to seven games? Are these guys just going to be too worn out and too beat up to, to win? And even if the Penguins do get out of this series and they go on and face Washington or Boston, are they going to be too tired? Because I feel like, and this is a segment I want to get to next, uh, which is which of the three old teams in the Eastern Conference is going to fall off first because I think it's inevitable, but we'll get to that after. So what do you think about this Islanders pen series so far? You know, I actually think, I, I think that this is going to be the series where you're going to, the, the Isles is grit, older players, veteran style of hockey might come to a halt. Um, I do. I think the series is going to go seven at the very least six. Yes. Are the Islanders a good team? Would I want to play them in the playoffs? No, but I think what you're going to see from the Penguins is, is after they've gotten this win, right. And they got like, look, the Isles won the first game. That was five straight games that the Isles have beat the Penguins in, in the playoffs. Cause the previous meeting in the playoffs, the Isles swept them. It's four Oh, that was two years ago. So I think that that was a mental that it's a it's a mental roadblock. It's a franchise roadblock. It's a it's a it's a fan base mental thing. Like oh my god, they swept us. Now we're now we've lost five in a row. Once you get that win, it's it's like okay, we got the win. We got the monkey off our back. All systems go. Let's go. And I think the Penguins are going to come out. They they're fast. They can score. Crosby looks like a man on a mission. Malkin might come back this series. Um, he's he's kind of on the fringe, right, of coming back from what I what I heard on the broadcast. Um, and I, I, I find that the Penguins, if Tristan Yari can, can, can have a performance like last night, I think the offense is just going to get better and they're faster and they're younger and they have the mix of guys that are older with the leadership. I mean, you've got Crosby in the locker room, you got Latang. Uh, these are guys that have been there, done that. Um, they've, they've won multiple cups. I think that through those guys that, you know, they'll help the younger guys like the Gensel, the Jake Gensels and whatnot uh, adapt to the way that the Islanders are trying to take them out of the game. And I think the Penguins will wrap up this series in six or seven. And I know, and I know that doesn't seem like wrapping it up, but it, it'll be to the finish. But what I think you're going to see is in the last few games, the Islanders are going to be tired. The Islanders players are older and they, a lot of their game is physical. It's, it's, it's hit, hit, get them off the puck, hit, hit, get them off the puck. 
right? It's not a lot of breakaways, free flowing hockey pass, stretch passes, you know, cross ice passes. It's, right. it's, you know, like we're saying, it's, it's just gritty hockey. And I think that, you know, the Penguins can ignore the grittiness and continue to their game. I, I think that they're going to win it. And I think that you're going to see from the Islander fan base and from the GMs is like, Barry Trotz, you're great. You're obviously staying, but we need to inject some youth and speed into this team and, and, and integrate it in with our great style of play. Right. Like they're, it's, they're it's to me like, yeah, they're, they're kind of opposite to the Rangers to where the Islanders are too much grit and they're too much muscle and that gets in their way almost. Whereas the Rangers, I mean, you know, you sit on the strictly Augie, they might be the biggest batch of pussies in the league. They don't have a guy that's going to go stand up to anyone. So it's kind of opposite mindsets are kind of debating themselves in New York Islanders has worked more often than not, but it might not be getting them to that extra step. But it's interesting. We both have that view. You know, you think, hey, maybe the Islanders will be worn out. I'm saying, hey, maybe the Penguins will. Both teams are going to wear each other out, right? Like, it's not just because we said one team is going to affect the other. Both teams are going to be pretty worn out at the end of the day. Um, so last night, uh, the Minnesota Wild lost to the Vegas Golden Knights 3-1. to one, So Vegas tied the series at one. Again, another game where three to one looks a lot different. It was really two to one. And then the Golden Knights scored a goal in the final minute off Cam Talbot. So it was two to one for most of it. Um, although I think after the one one goal, uh, when Vegas made it two to one, they controlled play afterwards. Uh, they were down in the shot, uh, shot count. They were below Minnesota. Then they scored that second goal slowly but surely started to tie them in the shot count, went over them in the shot count. And I think Vegas, here's the thing, Minnesota, we always say it, they're a good team, they're good structurally, they have a lot of good pieces, but they don't have that alpha, you know, again, Kaprizov's great, but they don't have that one guy who you're like, oh shit, right, Kaprizov's really good, but there's not that oh shit guy, Vegas has a few of them, Mark Stone is fantastic, you have uh, Pacioretty, he hasn't played yet, but you have Alex Petrangelo, um, you have Carlson, you have a few guys other than that, that are able to you know, they get the puck on the ice and you're like, oh shit, they have the puck. Minnesota yeah. doesn't have a lot of those guys. And I think eventually the skill on Vegas is going to overtake Minnesota. But again, Minnesota's had this crisis for years. They don't know what they are. They don't know if they're a physical team. They don't know if they're a skill finesse team. They kind of just make it to the playoffs and figure it out there. That's why I say get a fucking free agent because Cam Talbot's really good. He's been standing on his head. He's given up two goals. Well, really three goals. In, uh, in two games. I mean, I'm not technically counting the final minute, even though he gave it up. But anyway, three goals in two games have been really good. Get someone else. And I think what's really going to help them, I don't know when their contracts expire, when Suter and Parise's, I think they have like 20 million combined in cap hit those two. When they're off, maybe that opens the floodgates and Minnesota's like, hey, uh, opening NHL free agent, come here. I mean, hey, even if a Nugent Hopkins goes there, he's a UFA you get him in, you get a true number one center. Something needs to happen for Minnesota. But again, the base point is, I think Vegas's skill is going to overtake Minnesota in the long run. They're going to win this series eventually. Uh, but now they're going back to Minnesota for games three and four. So how do you think this series is going to pan out? You know, I, I just, I find the Wild to be just like a, like a tough team to play in round one. And that's all they're really ever going to be. Um, right. You know, and the, the Vegas is such a wagon. They're so good. They're so good. Um, I think that this will probably be a six game series. I think that the wild are good enough to get one back. Right. But I don't see it going seven. Uh, but if it goes seven, I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh my God, it's a seven, it's a seven, because you know, the, the, the wild have some pieces, you know, they've got Ryan Suter. They've got Zach Parise. They've got, 
you know, which those two guys are older, but they're still part of that era yeah. of, you know, the Wild were making the playoffs every year. They might have gone to round two, you know. Yeah, they have Zuccarello, Erickson Act, Greenway, you know, they've got Matt guys. Dumbo's good. Matt Dumbo's yeah. good. Yeah, so they've got a they've got a group of guys, but again, like you said, they don't have that. Oh my, oh my, fuck! Like fuck, we're we're you know this guy's on the ice. Like for me, when it, when Kucherov's on the ice last time, I'm like shit. And it's probably the same for the Lightning when we have our power play. It's like Barkov's lining up in that spot. You know he's going to hit the one timer there, or Huberto's coming down the ice. Like oh that that guy's going to make a nifty move to get an open pass, right? And it's you know the 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 Rangers have that guy, right? The the, the Panarins and. And hopefully the Lafreniere's and, and, and you know, Buchnevich is good too. Abanajad and all those guys. Abanajad, right? So they've got the guys that can score. The Wild just don't have that like, oh my God, they're they're gonna blow us out of the building, right? If we don't if we don't play well, they're gonna jump out early to a two lead. I've never really thought that from the Wild. I've never gotten that vibe, and I, and I don't think the Vegas Golden Knights have that vibe, right? So I always think that the Golden Knights are gonna control the shots. They're going to control the flow of the game and the wild are going to have to make their chances. So I see that the, I see Vegas winning the series and, you know, on top of Vegas, having those, those, you know, wow players, right. They've got an unbelievable defense. Alec Martinez is great. And Robin Leonard and, and Fleury are both, are an awesome duo. Probably Fleury's the best been incredible. Duo. These two games. Yeah. Probably the best duo, like overall duo in the league. Fleury is insane. How the Penguins let him walk years ago makes no sense because he's been, yeah, his, for his nothing on the wall in Vegas. Yeah, there will be a flurry statue in Vegas. There will be a shrine there in that in that arena because he's just been that good since coming over. And so, yeah, if you're if you're the Wild, you, you have your work cut out for you. The Vegas, Vegas is in the win column, and don't, they don't even have Patchy ready yet. So, yeah, that that's a big that's a big thing. So, uh, I'm gonna breeze over these ones. Um, Blues abs tonight at 10:30. Um, I think every game is basically going to go how game one went. I mean, dude, when, when Colorado took the lead in game one, they took over. I mean, St. Louis was done. They looked dead. They, uh, Colorado was faster than them. They're bigger than them. They are stronger than them. They have more energy than St. Louis. It looked like a complete overmatch. St. Louis does not look like anything close to what they were a few years ago. Now, I get it. David Perron, he wasn't playing. I, and I think he was their leading scorer. Don't tell me that David Perron is going to make up a three goal difference and that he's going to make up for the overwhelming advantages in speed and skill that Colorado has. They are so overwhelmingly better. I think this series is going to continue to go that way. Um, and I think the same thing with predators and hurricanes. Uh, I think it's going to be every game is basically going to be like game one where Nashville keeps it competitive. It's close. They get a few goals. You're sitting there like, Oh wow. Can Nashville actually do this? And then Carolina with their deep roster is going to be like, nope, time to take over third period. We're, we're going to finish this one up. It's going to be a lot of those games for both of these series for Colorado and Carolina, two number one seeds. It makes sense. Um, and then Jets Oilers. Um, I think Edmonton's going to breeze. Winnipeg played like absolute shit for the final 10 to 13 games of the year. Um, Edmonton, obviously McDavid, 100 points in 53 games. Or something like that. Every time I say it, I laugh. It's insane. And dry saddle, of course, uh, Nugent Hopkins, all them. Uh, and then Toronto, Montreal. Toronto might even sweep. Uh, Montreal, 10 OT losses. Any other division, I don't think they make the playoffs, even point-wise, mathematically. The North is the only division that they would have made it. I think. I might be wrong on that. Um, so I think the series we need to get to here is Caps-Bruins. Game three is tonight in Boston. And, it, and it's going to speak to my larger point about what I think 
and I was just thinking about this randomly the other day about the future of the Eastern Conference. Um, there's three teams that are at the center of my focus here. The Washington Capitals, the Boston Bruins, and the Pittsburgh Penguins. All three of these teams obviously are going to be fighting for playoff spots next year, but I looked at how the, the, the playoffs are going to shake up in the East. In the Atlantic, you're going to have Tampa, Florida, Toronto, who I think they're going to be the three in the Atlantic that get automatic bids. Because remember, three teams from each division, there's four divisions, and then there's two wild cards from the other two divisions combined. That makes the eight teams in each conference. So if you're looking at beyond the six, they're automatically going to make it because I think in the Metro, it's going to be Carolina. Um, sorry, I got to think about this. They're all top of my head. So Carolina is going to make it. Um, and then, yeah, the Islanders will make it for sure next year. And then I think one of Washington or the Rangers will make it. And then the outside team looking into the Atlantic will be Boston. So this is why I'm saying the future of the Eastern Conference is going to heavily hinge on Pittsburgh, Boston, and Washington, because these are three groups that I think are old. They've been at it for a very long time. I looked at Boston's roster the other day. Patrice Bergeron, 36 years old. Uh, Marchand is the youngest. I think he's turning 34 next year. David Krejci is 36. Tukarask is 34, 35 years old. Uh, then you look at Pittsburgh. Malkin hobbled all year. He's going to come into the playoffs kind of hobbled. Sidney Crosby ain't getting any younger. Latang, same thing. Outside of that, who exactly do you have that's young, that's going to be with you for, I'm talking about six, seven years. You look at Washington, Backstrom, mid-30s, Oshie, mid-30s, Ovechkin, mid-30s. CJ, these teams, eventually it's too much. Look what happened with Chicago, the Kings, the Sharks. They went from perennial playoffs every year to nosedive real quick. So I think if you're, if you're these three franchises, it's going to crash eventually. I think Boston, to me, is the team that's closest to that. If they lose this playoff series, which I think they will, I looked at their score sheet this year. Outside of the big three, Pasternak, Marchand, and Bergeron, nobody scores goals on this team. Nobody. I mean, I, there were not a lot of guys that even had 10 goals on this roster outside of the big three. There were defensemen that were scoring more than most of the offensive guys on this Bruins roster. How long is it sustainable for all these teams, mid-30-year-olds, to keep doing it year in, year out? When you have the Rangers, who knows what they're going to do heading into next season? They're going to be competing for one of those teams' playoff spots, and they're going to get grittier. They know that that's their number one option. The Flyers still exist. The Montreal Canadiens still exist in the Atlantic. What do you think is going to happen with some of these teams? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, the, the only thing that I will say is, is I think that they, the franchise that is truly royally fucked is the Pittsburgh Penguins because Crosby is that franchise. Malkin is that franchise. They're going to be gone. I mean, they're, they're, they're not going to be the same player. I mean, Malkin might be gone after this year. It's a huge cap yeah. that he's been playing all that much. He might be that guy that you just trade and he spends the rest of his, his NHL days uh, somewhere else where, you know, he's just, you know, second line center, you know, with some younger guys on. Seattle Kraken. Yeah, right. I mean, it could be something like that. But um, yeah, man, I think the Pittsburgh Penguins are, are going to be one of the odd men out here. Uh, I do think that the Bruins are always going to be like that franchise that will find a way to get it done. I do think that they'll go through a year or two of rough times, but they'll end up reloading somehow. 
Um, the desire to play in Boston is huge. There's tons of kids in the NHL and in the minors that are from Boston, that are from Massachusetts, and the desire to be in a Bruins jerseys will always be there. So they will have their pick of the litter no matter what. Um, Flyers, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know what the Flyers are doing here. I mean, Giroux, Voracek, those guys are old. Um, yeah, them too, right. I mean, not just the Capitals, the Flyers too. And the Caps as well. Those, yeah. you know, Vetchkin's old. Once he leaves, he's old. Brat Backstrom, he's old. I mean, you know, you're right. And but these teams have been beating up on each other for years. They're they they're you know the Caps Penguins, Caps Bruins, Bruins Penguins, Flyers Penguins. It's it's, yeah. it's the same thing every year that you're going to see a series like that. So they haven't really had to, like. You know, I don't know if they're going to ever have to play, you know, the Floridas of the league who are younger, uh, have, you know, a bunch of skill guys just because these teams knock each other out before you even get a chance or the Panthers just don't ever figure it out or the, or the Rangers who are younger and more skilled. Um, you might not ever get your crack at these types of teams just because they always knock each other out and their guys are slowly getting out of the league. So who knows? Um, but you're right. The state of the Eastern Conference is weird. It's about to be wide open for anybody to be to take it. I don't I think the Lightning are the class of the league. I think the Lightning are the class of the East for sure. But everything else after that, it's up for grabs. I think the Hurricanes will be there. The thing is, a couple guys on their team are a little bit old. I mean, Jordan Stahl's still sc still scoring goals. I mean, that guy's older. Um, Sebastian Ajo's great. I mean, Trocek's great. He's younger, but Martinuk, you know, these guys who play big minutes, they're a little bit older. I mean, they have some grit to their team. People don't realize it. I mean, they're like the Boston Bruins of the South is really the, the, the way I see it, right? So, but they are a little bit younger. So I think that they'll be up there. Uh, the Maple Leafs look like they're just a, a force scoring wise. I do think that when they have to start traveling and playing the other teams, that they're going to get shellacked because yeah, it's, so bad. it's just so bad. Um, Canadians, I think, are at a place where they're, you know, these younger guys on their team can sniff some playoffs here because, you know, of the abbreviated season and the division that they were in. So they're going to get a taste of that. This is going to be a huge experience for them. Um, so, yeah, I agree. The Blue Bloods and the Originals are, are, uh, are definitely going to be in a state of transition coming up here really soon. It's going to be very weird to see Crosby out of a, jer out of a Penguins jersey, which I think that's still like four years out. Right. Yeah. I mean, but, but Bergeron, who knows how many years Bergeron's going to play. He's, he plays top, top line minutes and they're always in the playoffs. I mean, yeah, him and Krejci are 36, man. Like that's old. Yeah. Bergeron's been there forever. Marshawn's not all that young. I, he's not young at all. Actually. I think yeah, he's, he's 33. Yeah. I don't even know how old Pasternak is. What was Pasternak 30? He's probably, let me look right here. Anyway, but you, 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 you get the gist and you, and you hit the nail on the head, the blue bloods and the originals. I mean, the OGs, the, the the perennial teams that you're always going to see in there, they're going to have to reload at some point. And right now, the younger teams need to jump on that. They're not as young. The, the, these older teams are are they're slower. Uh, they're they're going to hit and they're good, but you got to jump on them now. Yeah, I agree. And Pasternak is turning 25 in six days, so happy birthday. They're set on the left wing there for a long time. Yeah, no, they got him. And if Taylor Hall stays, but like, I mean, I'm looking at the roster again. I mean, outside, I, I mean. DeBrusque, Coyle, Kase, uh, uh, Krejci, Kuhlman, Curley, Lazar, uh, Richie, Seneshin, Smith, Studnika. None of these guys scored. Like, none of them. It, it was literally – it was the big three and then McAvoy. Uh, and it was like, what? Well, what am I looking at here? How are they winning games? So, it's going to be interesting. An aging team with no outside perimeter scoring. It makes signing Taylor Hall 
really important going into next year to get that extra fourth scoring threat. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then I, you know, I looked at the West future too. Uh, it's going to be basically like if Vegas loses this playoff series, we could be in a situation where Colorado is the overwhelming threat in the West because the California teams aren't good. Chicago's not good right now. Nashville is meh. St. Louis is going to lose and they're older and they're slow. And what do you have in the West? So like, there's not top heaviness at all in the NHL. It is so, there's so much parody in the NHL. That's why we love it. Um, But the East and the West are going to be wide open after this year. Um, So it's going to be a lot of fun. So um, yeah. All right. So let's move to the NFL draft review. Um, Listen, uh, I mean, I'm I'm not going to brag. Okay. But you know, CJ let me in his pool for the NFL draft challenge. I won. I got it right. Uh, and I, I was pretty good first 10 picks, um, but I got all the quarterbacks right, except for Justin Fields. Nobody predicted the Fields thing. I got all the quarterbacks right. I did not fall for the Mac Jones bluff. Um, I thought it was like Kyle Shanahan. I, I was I was always like, he's too smart to fall for the Mac Jones thing. I think he knows that the problem with Jimmy Garoppolo is the reason he had him throw nine times a game in the Super Bowl was he can't move. He needed him in the pocket. So keep him in the pocket, have him throw as little as possible. What do they need to fix that problem? Somebody who can run out of the pocket. That's who Trey Lance is. That was one of my favorite picks of the draft. Um, but let's go down the list here. And I'm hoping that I still have it. Yes, I do. Okay. So the number one pick of the draft was Trevor Lawrence. What I love about what the Jags did, they're pairing him up with Travis Etienne. I think it's awesome. Um, but now that it's official, what does the future look like for the Jags, who now – you really look at it. Houston is not that good. Tennessee is not who they used to be. And if you look at Jacksonville, you get Etienne at running back. You have Marvin Jones, D.D. Westbrook, D.J. Chark at receiver, a young developing defense with a lot of draft picks. Jacksonville is not as bad as, as maybe casual fans think. I think that the Titans are, are still the same team. They're world beaters and they're really good. I think that they're, they're great. They're going to easily win that division next year. Uh, who else is in that division? The Colts? Colts are easily winning that division. You would put you, you would um, you would I, say I you would but, say the Colts are going to win that division over the Titans. Yeah, they have a better offensive line, better defensive line, better linebackers, better corner. Like everything outside of quarterback and running back is better for Indianapolis. I would say. You want to make you want to make a bet right now on the pod that I that, will. I will. I'll I'll bet fifty dollars that the Titans win that the Titans win that division, or at the very least, finish higher than the Colts. Okay, virtual handshake. You have a deal. Virtual handshake. All right. Anyway, I think the Titans are still really good. I think the Colts will be your second place team. Jags are going to be whatever. I think they'll be like a five-one team this year. Urban Meyer's a new coach, uh, a new head coach in the NFL. Um, Tebow's a joke. Well, it's not even I, look. I spoke to some people about this, like, like my friends and family, and, and it's, there's no price that you can put on real leadership and culture change. What Irvin Meyer is trying to do in Jacksonville is change the culture to, we are winners. We're not just like the little, little brother in Florida where Tampa is always better than us. The dolphins are always better than us. We're just whatever, right? We're, we never get anything right. We don't our you know, players don't want to stay here longer than a couple of years. Right. You know, we lose our draft picks as they want to leave. They, he wants the, the culture changed and there's in his coaching experience in his life, there is no better culture guy than Tebow that he's ever coached. 
Tebow what is is literally the epitome of I wanted I want to win in college and, and he want and he might he's lacking skill obviously but he wants to always win and he's always going to be there for you and he's always going to be in that locker room so look I do I think Tebow makes the team no do I think that he brings him that that Urban Meyer brings him into training camp and 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 has him try out for a roster spot I think yes because Tebow's the feel-good story, and he's going to make everybody else in that tight end room and everybody else on that offense and whoever else is fighting for a roster spot fight that much harder in training camp because they need to beat out the Tim Tebow that might be the coach's favorite, right? There's so many factors to this that he might he might tell Tim, hey, I just want you to come to training camp, man. You, there's going to be a possibility you make this roster. Who knows? But work your ass off. Make the guys around you better, and we'll, we'll talk about it later. We'll, we'll see about it later. And that's exactly what Tebow's going to do. This is the culture stuff that you want. Like – I can, I'm trying to find a parallel in sports, but you know, there's, there's, there's culture changes that need to happen. Right. Yeah. And they happen in hockey all the time. Like this year, the Panthers went under, underwent a, a culture change up. I'm going to bench you if you don't play well. Now Keith Yandel might be an exception, but Bobrovsky got benched. Um, Strawman got benched this year because Bill Zito came in as the GM and he said, Hey, look, we need a culture change. I think that's, that's what they're doing in Jacksonville. So I think that the Tebow thing is way, is way deeper than uh, he played for urban Meyer. I think it's more of a, Tebow, I need you coming in here. And I need you to get these kids right. I need you to get their mindset right. Yeah, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I mean, that's all well and good. They could have just had him hired as a as a coach or a, a motivational speaker. One second here. So yeah, I mean, I I sorry we had to take that pause there. I had something going on, but um, you know, Tim Tebow, uh, you could have hired him as a motivational speaker. You could have hired him as a locker room assistant. You could have hired him as a coach very well even I don't see why you have to have him go on the field and compete as a player um I think that some of the players it might rub off the wrong way um I, I put it this way Kyle Pitts is six foot four and he ran a four four uh Tim Tebow is six two and he ran a four seven and you know there's doubts about and now I don't I don't have any personal doubts about Kyle Pitts but there's even some scouts that say he's not a 100 percent guarantee and the dude is a physical specimen and he's one of the best tight end prospects in the last decade and now you have tim tebow two inches shorter runs way slower been out of the league for nine ten years he's been a tv guy and now he's going to go and line up at tight end a position he's never played to me it's more stupid and it's more gimmicky than anything and you could have had him just come in as a coach and stay in the locker room and get in the huddle up and say all right boys this is what we're going to do to have him suit up and compete with guys who are way younger and faster and stronger than him What's, what's even the point? It's just a spectacle and a PR stunt more than anything at that point, instead of let's try and actually help the team. Um, there's definitely two sides to this, but I just find it to be completely unnecessary. And Urban Meyer, if you're trying to be taken seriously in the NFL and your first solo decision, because let's be honest, he did not solo decide to get Trevor Lawrence. Anyone who was hired would have had Trevor Lawrence. That's his first big decision is to say, yeah, Let's bring in a guy who hasn't played in almost 10 years to line up at tight end and give us some pep talks. I mean, really? Uh, so to me, it's just a little far-fetched. And listen, it's not going to hurt anyone. It's not going to set anything on fire. You're right. He's not going to make the team. Uh, but that's what I'm saying. It's more of a PR thing because it's going to be a fun thing to watch in August. Twitter is going to have a bunch of videos of Tim Tebow catching one pass in preseason. And it's going to go trending. And then opening week, week one, He's back doing college football with ESPN. That's how I look at it. And it's just kind of a spectacle to me. Yeah. 
I mean, you can't. You also can't put a price on guaranteed hype. And Tim Tebow's guaranteed hype around that organization, who's just yeah, sure. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is all the hype that it really should need. But to add in the fact that you're going to have a training camp that features Trevor Lawrence, Tim Tebow, and Urban Meyer all in the same room, that's a star. That's star power, man. That that it, it is. So I mean, could be it could be fun, but who knows? Um, so yeah, I mean that's the Jags. I mean they might get the, if if he's in training camp there, dude. They might get hard knocks. Oh yeah, that that's a very good point. I mean, if Jacksonville wants attention first year with Urban Trevor in the in the house, you know, bringing hard knocks, it might be a really good choice. Um, so Zach Wilson to the Jets at two. We knew this. Don't really have to deliberate on it. What I really liked is that the Jets also drafted a tackle, Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, they're bringing him in to protect. Zach Wilson, they're not going to make the same mistake they made with Sam, where they didn't help him at all at the O-line. They drafted O-line last year. They drafted O-line this year. Good start for Zach Wilson to at least have some protection. Uh, I just discussed the Trey Lance thing with the Niners. Jimmy Garoppolo, I think it's going to be the similar thing to Alex Smith and Mahomes. Jimmy, he, he, they know he can get them to the playoffs. He'll start this year. If they lose in the playoffs, even if they don't lose in the playoffs, Trey Lance will be in there next year, but just have him sit on the bench. But I love this pick. Like I said, how do you fix the problem of not having your quarterback throw 10 times and that's it? You get a guy who can move out of the pocket. That's what Trey Lance can be. I think he can be the biggest boom of the draft personally. Uh, what do you think of the Trey Lance pick by San Francisco? I think it's very smart. I mean, uh, there's a guy, uh, Albrighton, uh, Benjamin Albrighton, who's who's was spot on uh, two months before the draft. He basically said um, – you are going to need to trade up to three if you want Trey Lance. And he said that after his pro day. And everybody said, bullshit, Zach Wilson. It's going to go Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence, and, and Justin Fields, or the Niners are taking Mac Jones. I think the Niners all along wanted Trey Lance. I think that whole narrative of, of it was close on the last day or the last week, bullshit. You're not trading up to three for Mac Jones. He's not a world beater. You trade up to three for a guy that could potentially be a fucking world beater, not a game manager. Sorry. People got Tom Brady or the Patriots got Tom Brady in fucking round six. Okay. <laughs> That's your game manager. And that turned into a world beater. Okay. You're not drafting Mac Jones three. That's there's a reason why he's flipped all the way to 15 and no one traded up for him. You know, who traded up for for a quarterback, the bears, they traded up for Justin Fields because he has the potential to be a world beater. And this is not, no slight against Mac Jones, but he's always going to need to have a good defense behind his back. He's never going to carry. He's going to need some guys that create separation because he played in Alabama. Who's a track team, no matter what. And he's never going to be that guy who's I can win. Just put something on the field. Trey Lance is a guy that can turn into a guy that says I can win, put something on the field. Justin Fields might turn into a guy that says I can win just put something decent on the field Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson all have both have the traits of I can win I I can do it with with B plus receivers I don't need to have an A plus cast and I think Mac Jones is always going to need that A rated cast so good for the 49ers I think the whole thing was a smokescreen all along I had tweeted that many times it's a fucking smokescreen they are not trading up to three for Mac Jones that is just ridiculous is absolutely ridiculous. And I think that Trey Lance, the guy's got a massive arm. He's fast. He's mobile. He's got everything you want. I find him to be very similar to a Josh Allen, right? Yep. Where it's just, you know, he played in a, he, I mean, he played D2 at the highest end of D2. I mean, NDSU quarterbacks, or, you know, Carson Wentz played at NDSU. So that you can't really slight the competition, but similar to Trey Lance, 
Uh, Josh Allen played at Wyoming. He wasn't playing insane talent, right? Yeah. But he has the traits. He has the body. He's a big frame. He can run. He can take a hit. And he can throw a dart down the field. And that's what you want. I mean, you look at where the 49ers have to go play. They have to go They have to go to Seattle, which is a tough place to throw in. It's, it's rainy. It's windy. Tough place to go. Um, you're going to have to go to an Arizona where Kyler Murray has a freaking video game arm and can toss it from, from one end of the field to the other. You have to be able to match that. Jimmy G doesn't match that. Jimmy G's a game manager. Jimmy G is a guy who's going to throw your short slant, or your bubble screens, occasionally have this sexy deep ball, but probably because the receiver did all the work. Jimmy G is your safe pick. Jimmy G is your safe. I can maybe get you back to the Super Bowl. Trey Lance is your home run. You've just added a home run type pick to a team that's already Super Bowl caliber, caliber in every other position. I think the 49ers killed it. I think it was smart. Mortgage the freaking future. Send it somewhere else, man. They sent it to the Dolphins. They said, you, you guys want to figure it out. Figure, you, you want our first round picks and to slot back a few, figure it out. I mean, our first round picks aren't going to be worth shit. We're going to be, whatever those first round picks are, they're going to be in 28, 29, 30, because that's how good the 49ers are. And I really think Trey Lance might beat out Jimmy G to win that court, that, that starting spot. And I think Kyle Shanahan is secretly rooting for that because he would rather Trey Lance come in and look like an absolute freak and force his way into the, into the lineup and force his way into that QV spot so that they know what they have and give Trey Lance that your rookie season, let's go get you in a playoff game. Let's get you that experience because this team can go and they can go to, they could, they could be the class of the NFC for years, for years. They are so set in every other position, especially on defense. And that's what wins you football games. No, you're totally right. I mean, you said everything that uh, was on my mind there. Uh, and, and, you know, the biggest point you brought up, got to play Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford and Kyler Murray twice a year. And if you've got Mac Jones going up against those three guys, he's quarterback number two in all three, in all those games, Trey Lance, could he be better than Stafford in two, three years? Could he be better than Kyler Murray, even year one, right? You don't have that potential with Jimmy G. And that's why I love this pick. I agree with you in every aspect there. Uh, Kyle Pitts, the Falcons, uh, we could breeze over it. Uh, Matt Ryan, buddy, it's on you. Um, Saints are not who they used to be. Panthers are in between. They don't know what they are yet. Um, it's all on you because you got Julio and you got Calvin Ridley and now you got a generational tight end. It's on you, Matt Ryan. Number five, I predicted this one uh, correctly. Uh, I, listen, this is not what I would have done, but I knew Cincinnati would do this because they don't have any success in their franchise. When's the last time that they had a string of success? It's because they're dysfunctional. And what did they do? Listen, Jamar Chase is a fantastic receiver. He's a generational talent, but the Bengals are coming off a year where Joe Burrow, the guy that they just drafted, tore his knee apart. And you could have gotten Panay Sewell, who people said might be a Hall of Fame offensive tackle day one. And you passed on him for Joe Burrow's buddy at LSU. Again, it's going to be cool to see these guys link up, winning a championship at LSU, being Tigers, and now they're Bengals. That's awesome. It's cute. It's a nice story. If you're looking for longevity out of your quarterback, you could have got Panay Sewell and said, we are set for a decade at left tackle. Now, great, you have a receiver. Does that add wins to your schedule? No. Uh, so what do they think? They already had Tyler Boyd. They have the running back, uh, what's his name, Joe Mixon. They have, they have offensive talent. Right, T. Higgins. Last year at the 33rd pick, which in all intents and purposes in these drafts, the 33rd pick is basically a first rounder. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and so I don't get it at all by Cincinnati. It's... Hey, let's make Joe Burrow happy. We'll get his buddy to come in here. Not, 
hey, uh, we look at the scar on his knee. We have no one to protect him now. We have Panay Sewell. Now he's stuck in fucking Detroit without a quarterback to protect. I don't get it by Cincinnati. Yeah, I'm going to be honest here. I agree. Look, I understand the talent and I understand the skill positions that you want a an X factor that makes a difference. I get that. But here's what the Dolphins did. And this is a similar blueprint that they needed to, that the Bengals needed to follow. Two attack of low had a shit injury, almost ended his career. Joe Burrows wasn't going to end his career, but that's an awful injury. What did the Dolphins do? They passed last year on multiple running backs, on multiple wide receivers, for trenches. Shore up the D-line, shore up the O-line. D-line and, and move out on the defense. You will always have a defense that can compete and get to the quarterback, stop the run. That's big. Offense, you start from the line and then you move out because no matter what quarterback is back there, if they don't have any time, it doesn't fucking matter, right? So I was, it's, it's, it's not the sexy pick when you pick the tackle. It's not ever going to be the sexy pick. Or if you take D tackle in round one, or if you take O tackle in round one at a high pick, it's never the sexy pick. People want the, the sexy pick, but I'm sorry. The safe picks are the tackles. Those, those are going to win you football games and keep your quarterback healthy. And after, I can't believe that, that, that the Bengals front office looked at Joe Burrow's leg and looked at that injury and said, I'm going to get you a wide receiver. I know that they addressed O-line a little bit in the offseason, and I know they drafted it kind of recently. Come on, dude. You put Penai Sewell with the guys that you've added, and you have immediately Penai Sewell make sure, make sure O-line go from B-minus, what it probably is right now, all the way up to A, because he's that good. He's a mauler. He's a freak. He's got speed. And you know what? You know what, the, you know what the, their division rivals did? The Ravens always have a good defensive line no matter what. So do the Steelers. They always have a good defensive line. TJ Watt looks like a freak. He looks better than his brother ever was. His brother's a Hall of Famer, okay? And what, what else do the Steelers have? Oh, oh, that's right. An amazing linebacking group and decent corners and a damn good D-line. A damn good D-line that they have to play twice a year. They play the Ravens twice a year. And then, oh, wait, who do the Browns have? Miles Garrett. And who else did they add? Jadeveon Clowney to the, to the D-line. So, so what the Browns did... So they literally added uh, Jadeveon Clowney to an already unbelievable pass rush. So Burrow's got to go up against such a tough division every yeah. year. And this is where the Bengals showed their, in, their incompetency again. This is something that I'll agree with Coward on every time. This was a dumb pick. And I don't, and I don't really – I don't watch Coward anymore. I don't like his stuff anymore. All right, that's a whole other that's a whole other topic. I used to really enjoy his show, but he's right. He he he's right. You take Sewell. Good luck, Joe Burrow. Good luck. You're playing three defenses. They're gonna kill you, and that's six times a year that you have to play him. Yep. And you're not gonna have the O line. So when you get blown up again, I don't care if they're buddies. The GM in the front office and the head coach has to be going, Joe. I'm sorry, man, but we're trying to protect you, and we want to keep you here for the long haul. We'll go out. We'll we'll figure out another way to get you a receiver. We might trade back into the first round, but it's not going to be Jamar. We're getting you. We're getting you O tackle, uh, offensive line help. Sorry, I don't care if Joe Burrow called you fucking twelve at night. I don't care if Joe Burrow called you off a couple drinks, or I don't care if Joe Burrow walked into your office and said, "Hey, I need Jamar Chase. He's my buddy. He's going to be great. He's going to be awesome." Sorry, Joe, you don't pay me. I get paid 
to make the right decisions. And the right decision here is P nice well. I think it, I agree with you. Awful decision. Awful decision. Just an yep. awful decision. Yep, 100%. And then your Dolphins, they get to settle for Jalen Waddell. So now a lot like my quarterback, Daniel Jones, in, in New York, it's all on Tua. Uh, this is his chance. You're giving him Will Fuller. You're giving him Devontae Parker. You're giving him Jalen Waddell, Mike Kosicki, Miles Gaskin, a great offensive line, top five defense, great coach. This is it, man. I mean, if Tua can't do it with these dudes, it's a problem. And I know you don't like Coward, but he made a good point. First eight weeks of their schedule, Tua might be the second best quarterback in the first eight weeks of their schedule in every game. This is on him. He needs to prove that he's the guy. I, I'm indifferent. I don't I don't really know one way or another, but this is his chance. You're giving him basically three number one receivers, tight end, O-line, running back, great coach, great defense. It's on you, Tua. Yeah, look, I to an extent, I agree with that. He needs to show it this year for sure. Um, I, I think that Josh Allen took one and a half years to pan out. Uh, you know, the, the first half of his sophomore season wasn't all that great, but he ended up leading them to the playoffs. And I think he had a strong end. And then third season, he came around and he was he had arrived. So I don't think that Tua is going to be make or break here uh, this year. Um, but I, but it, ha- it it will be break if he shows no signs of progress. Now, I will tell you this. He's bulked up completely. He looked like a stick last year compared to what he looks like now. He's put on weight, put on NFL weight. His arms look huge. And his in his lower half of his body has, has way more bulk and mass to it than it did last year, which is good. He can take more hits. That means he's clearly, clearly recovered from his, from his injury because he's actually able to work out in the offseason and, and add weight and add bulk. Because last year, this time, he couldn't do that. He just needed to, to, to get his footwork back to what it was. He couldn't necessarily lift, lift like he was. Um, look, I think that I, – look, I understand the argument that right now on paper there's eight quarterbacks better than two in the first week. But people said people were going to say that about Justin Herbert last year. He, the whole year, he's probably the yeah. second best quarterback in every. But guess what? He showed up, and then he ended up being the better quarterback in many duels on the field, right? Yeah. So Tua yeah. might be lights the fuck out in the first two or three weeks, and then all of a sudden, he's no longer the second best quarterback in the rest of them. He might be lights out first week, and everyone's like, "Wow!" I mean, we play the Pats week one in New England. That's not a cupcake. That's not a cupcake game. Bill Belichick, you know for a fact he's going to throw the kitchen sink and defense at Tua. He wants to come out first first game back at Gillette with fans. They had no fans last year. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a hostile environment for the Dolphins to walk into. And if Tua goes in there and throws for two touchdowns, a dub over two hundred fifty passing yards, it looks great. Sorry, he's here. That's all he needs. Like everybody's going to go Tua's back. Tua, this is what this is what we thought Tua was going to be. Everyone's going to shut up. Or if it takes a couple games for him, whatever. We don't have a guy behind. I mean, Jacoby Brissett is decent, man. But look, I agree. He's got the cast now. The Dolphins piece together a cast. Will Fuller, Parker, Gasicki, Waddle. That's good. That's damn good. That's that's top tier in the league, in my opinion. That that's that's or I should say upper tier in the league. It's not what the, it's not what the Chiefs are right now, right? And it yep. isn't what I wouldn't say it, it, it's what you know other teams have but i would say it's top it's for sure top 10 in the league if not maybe top eight fringe top eight right of a, of a cast which and it has the potential to be a top five because you don't know what waddle's going to be you don't know if will fuller is going to be like holy shit but on paper that's a damn good supporting cast so yeah if Tua doesn't start throwing touchdowns and making the you know making the right decisions on the field uh, yeah you're there there will be a sense of alarm but i i think that getting percent was was pretty sneaky because that's a guy that can play yeah, yeah. No, and they can use him. You know, they don't have to sit him full games. He's a guy that in Indianapolis last year 
when they weren't confident in Phillip Rivers during certain points in the game, they'd put in Brissett for, for key plays during the game. Will they do that for Tua? Probably not. But, I mean, there's still the option there, at least for him. So, number seven, the Lions end up getting Suell to protect Goff, who's probably going to be gone in two or three years. We'll see how this pick plays out, but at least they know for whatever franchise quarterback they do end up getting, whether that's a year, two years, three years, four years from now, he will be protected uh, by Panay Sewell. So good for the Lions. Number eight, J.C. Horn went higher than I thought he would. I thought he would go to the Cowboys at 10. He ends up going to the Carolina Panthers at eight. That's what I was talking about. Carolina has drafted really well at defense over the last two drafts. Last year, now you get arguably the best corner in the draft. He was drafted ahead of Sertain. So according to how the draft board went, he's the best corner in the NFL draft from this year. Good for Carolina. They needed a corner. Same thing with Denver. Patrick Sertain from Bama going over there. What is Denver always known for? Good defenses. Uh, and that is what they did, doubling down on that with Devontae Smith. Uh, so we'll go over those two picks. Carolina, Denver, getting corners. How do you like it? Yeah. I mean, again, not the sexy pick. I don't know what the Broncos really are. I don't I don't really like what they yeah, are. Are they in on Rodgers or are they not? Like is Teddy yeah, Who really knows, crazy? man? Who knows? I mean, this could all be a stunt by by Rodgers to get more money, right? Yeah. Which he might successfully do. But I don't really like what they've got going on in Denver in terms of the quarterback situation. Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater just scream middle of the road to yeah. me which is never fun. Yeah. So it's just, that's not where you want to be in the NFL. It's either you want to suck ass and get your guy for the future, or you want to be really good and get in the playoffs. You don't want to be middle of the road because you get a shit pick and you don't know who you are. And like you said, for hockey, it's a, it turns into a crisis, right? You don't want the crisis. You know, I wouldn't say like the Jaguars, they, they, they got, they, they sucked ass last year and they now have, they had the first pick. After the season, did anybody think that the Jaguars were in a crisis? No, because they got to pick Trevor Lawrence. Did the Jets think that they were in a crisis? No, because they got to pick Zach Wilson. The Niners had a middle-of-the-road pick this year. And what did they do? They turned that into a not a crisis anymore. I'm going to go get Trey Lance. Where are the Broncos going to end up? The same they always do, 10 and 14, in that range, because their defense is going to be good enough for 10 for, for to get them to, like, above the ninth pick. And their quarterback uh, ineptitude is going to make them not be able to get in the playoffs. So what are you like a shit middle of the road pick, which is what the Dolphins always were. And it set us back for a while because we never, we, we missed out on all the top, top, top tier prospects. We just got fillers. So yeah, I don't know. I, 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 the bills, the, the Broncos are just so like, so uninteresting to me, you know, yeah. it's just like, I'm never going to sit there and go, Oh my God, the Broncos, uh, I got to go tune in that Broncos game out West. Right. I used to, when Peyton Manning was there, of course I, I was like, Oh, the Dolphins game's over. The 425 Broncos game's about to start. The Chiefs are in town. It's snowing outside. I got to watch this. Now I'm like, this is ugly football, dude. This sucks. I don't want to watch it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially in their division, Vegas, LA, Kansas City, all better. Uh, mm. So Den Denver's going to have a tough time this year. Um, and Sertain's not going to make some insurmountable difference to where they're going to be a playoff team because of him. You got a lot more problems than that. Uh, Devontae Smith to the Eagles at 10. They traded up. Uh, Jalen Hurts gets a guy that he used to pass to at Bama, Devontae Smith. Um, supposedly the Giants, my Giants were pissed that the Eagles hopped over them in division and they traded with another division rival to hop over another division rival to get 
Devontae Smith, very interesting. Uh, but the Eagles now, I mean, listen, that whole NFC East, they're going to have a pain in the ass to guard uh, in, in, uh, in Devontae Smith. Listen, I mean, there's a lot of teams in this division now that have great receivers. You look at the Giants, they have Kenny Galladay, Sterling Shepard, Kadarius Toney. The Cowboys have CeeDee Lamb, Amari Cooper. The Eagles now have Devontae Smith. Each team kind of has a really good, talented receiver core. Um, and, and the Eagles knew they had to compete with that, and they knew they had to get Jalen Hurts a weapon because Carson Wentz is out of town. And I think Hurts is actually going to be pretty average. Um, I don't think he's going to be amazing, but I think he'll be middle of the road you know, maybe a little bit better than a Teddy Bridgewater type guy sitting in maybe where Kyler Murray was last year. I think he has the same limitations that maybe a Kyler Murray would have. So he's kind of right in that pack for me, but um, we'll see how they go. Philadelphia, they're not going to make the playoffs. Devontae's not going to do it for them. And uh, yeah. And then the Cowboys at 12, they got Micah Parsons. And I guess we could skip to 20 and just talk about this division in, in general. Uh, the Giants drafted Tony at 20, the wide receiver from Florida. I didn't get it at the time, but now it's like, well, they have Galladay, Shepard, Tony. That's that's a good thing for Daniel Jones. And if he can't do it, just like Tua, I said, bye-bye, Daniel Jones. If you can't do it with Kenny Galladay and that batch of guys and Saquon, get out of here. You're in New York. You need to win. And then Washington at 19, drafting Jamin Davis. Uh, and then between there, yeah, no, no other t uh, picks within the NFC East. So in the NFC East, some interesting first-round picks. Um, what do you think about that division? Micah Parsons, Dallas, Devontae Smith, Philly, and Kadarius Tony Giants, and Jamin Davis, Washington. I think that I really like Tony, dude. I, I, I'm high on him, man. I, I think he is an apex like slot guy, dude. You see what Jarvis Landry is for the Browns and the culture change. I'm not saying that, that Tony has that aspect of it, right? Yeah, right, I don't really know that, but Jarvis Landry is a culture guy. He doesn't drop balls in the middle of the field. He changed a lot of what the Browns are. When the Browns brought him over, he brought a lot of a culture change there, man. And, and he bought in. And, and he has been a blessing for them. He does it all. He can do a sweep. He can he, he catches touchdowns. He doesn't drop anything in the slot. He, he's slippery in the middle of the field. Uh, Tony is that. Tony is literally Jarvis Landry, a little smaller and actually a little quicker than, than Jarvis is. I think that's an awesome pick. I think Daniel Jones is going to love that. The underneath stuff, Tony will turn a four-yard pass into an eight-yard gain. Huge. If Saquon Barkley comes in, then just hand him off the ball. Get, get, you're, he's going to help you move the change, and that's that's what you want. And at, and at that pick, I don't think that there was a better receiver in the draft, And to yeah. be totally honest with you. I don't think yeah. there really was. So I genuinely I, – I really like the pick. He's an athlete. He's a baller. I don't have anything – I have nothing negative to say about Tony, and I, I have nothing negative to say about the pick. I think the Giants got a steal. I think he he has the potential to be successful as hell. He, you could be talking about him being the most successful wide receiver in that draft, in that first round in the next 10 years. You don't know, right? I mean, you never know, especially with receivers. Dan, all I know is that Daniel Jones is going to have a favorite target there, and it's going to be Tony. He's going to love it. He, it's going to be third down and short, third down and five, and he's going to need to find a guy. And who's going to be there? Tony. I, I, I believe that. And they're going to be, they're going to put him in different packages. Like I said, Jet sweeps. The, the, the Gators were using him everywhere, man. Out of the backfield, coming off the line, dude. Like like I'm serious, seriously, man. He's he's a utility guy, and he's a guy who's like I can do it. I can do it, coach. I can do anything. Yeah, and, and I mean. The, the other options there too. I mean, you know, you're not going to be looking out for Tony. You're not going to be game planning for Tony, 
which I think is going to make him even more dangerous because, you know, the corners, the number one corner is going to be matched up against Kenny Galladay. The number two corner is going to be matched up against Sterling Shepard. Then you've got Ingram and Kyle Rudolph, and you've got Darius Slayton, who's one of Daniel Jones's favorite targets. Tony's going to be kind of the forgotten man out there, and that's going to open up a ton of opportunities. So you talk about he's a utility guy. That makes him even more of a utility guy because he's kind of like a wild card option. What are you going to do with him during the game? Because everyone else kind of has their role. It's going to be interesting. So um, at 13, Rashawn Slater, offensive lineman of the Chargers. Love this pick. I absolutely love it. What did the Chargers do this offseason? They did what the Bengals did not. They got Slater. They got the center from Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers, center from Green Bay to replace the center. I forget his name now. It's slipping my mind. He retired, though, in L.A. They replace him with Aaron Rodgers center, and then they get a guard from Pittsburgh. So three out of five offensive linemen got younger, got better, theoretically, uh, in L.A. to protect Justin Herbert. The Chargers run their organization so similar, in my opinion, to what the Indianapolis Colts did. What did the Colts do? They went out and they got Quentin Nelson. Um, and yeah, the Colts went out, they got a Quentin Nelson. I think they got two Notre Dame offensive line one year, but they're always a top five offensive line. Why? They know that they have to protect the quarterback. They focus on defense first. The Chargers, Derwin James, Bosa, they've got playmakers on defense. I love this Chargers roster, and it is a dream of an offseason to say, Justin Herbert just set rookie records, and now we're repairing three-fifths of his O-line? amazing pick for the chargers i love it yep i agree i think the chargers are setting up and they're doing it the right way they're doing it the non-bengals way get it right preserve your quarterback he looks like he's the future there um he looks he's he looks like he can go toe-to-toe with 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 the mahomes with the right supporting cast i i I believe that because he's got the arm he's got the mobility and he's got the body for it he's got the iq so it's all there and they're they're making that o-line of force and if you give that guy more time back there that's not good. It's just not good for opposing defenses, and it's great for the Chargers. I do. Th- I I would like to see them maybe get like a weapon or two, right, over yeah. the next year or two. Maybe just pair up with Keenan Allen, who who, who always has injury issues. Um, they lost Hunter Henry. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing them get get some X, you know, X factors on the offensive side. But Herbert's good enough to where you give him that O line, they're going to win football games. So, and the defense is good, dude. That defense is really good. They've never gotten to play with Derwin James and Bosa at the same time. Yeah, and this year they're going to be able to. So, Chargers, man, they might be a playoff team this year. People need to watch out. Yeah, and Hunter Henry left, but Jared Cook comes in to replace him. Longtime vet tight end around the league. He's caught for Aaron Rodgers. So, uh, and you're right. You know, you look at their offensive weapons. They have Eckler and Justin Jackson at running back and then Kelly who came in last year. So they have three running backs that they can kind of pair up, but then receiver Keenan Allen is probably top 10. So at least you have that, but Mike Williams, a little bit shaky. And then after Mike Williams, it's Jared cook and then wide receiver depth, not there. So I agree with you, CJ wide receiver depth is something they need to look at but they upgraded everywhere else. I mean, Balaga at right tackle, Corey Lindsley is the center's name that I was mentioning. And then Slater, I mean, geez, man. I mean, three-fifths of your O-line getting improved. I love it. Uh, 14, I mentioned Vera Tucker to the Jets O-line, Mac Jones to the Pats. We kind of touched on it earlier. Will he start week one? He'll start eventually. You know, whenever Cam starts to go out, Cam always ends up missing games anyway. You'll see Mac Jones this year. It's a total Belichick pick. And, Mac Jones might end up being, if he pans out, 
it might be because he might have been coached by the two best coaches ever uh, to get co- coached by Nick Saban and then Bill Belichick. Pretty incredible stuff if you're Mac Jones as a quarterback. Uh, number 16, Zabin Collins went to the Cardinals. Good pick for them. Alex Leatherwood, this confused people. He's an offensive lineman. They could have gotten better O-lines uh, picks from other people. What is John Gruden known for in Vegas? He drafts off the board. That's what they did there. Jalen Phillips, how do you like this, CJ? Dolphins at 18. Love it, dude. I, he's That guy's <clears throat> a beast. And a lot of those guys – on the panel said, you know, in a normal year, that guy might've been a top 10 pick. That's how good he is. He's got the upside, man. He, he, it's, it's actually really crazy. Um, there's a potential that the Dolphins have the offensive rookie of the year and the defensive rookie of the year. If Jalen Waddle pops off and is one of the top receivers in the league and Jalen Phillips is racking up sacks because not many really good defenders came off the board in that first round. Yeah. Um, it's easier for a DN to get rookie of the year if they rack up sacks because it's harder for, for first-year cornerbacks to come in and start picking off guys and, and whatnot. Um, be really exciting. But I, I like Jalen Phillips a lot. He could – dude, he might be our, our Jason Taylor, man, that we've been missing out, or, or our next Cam Wake. Like, Dolphins have always had an elite D-end over the last 20 years. And it's been a pleasure to watch Jason Taylor. It's been a pleasure to watch Cameron Wake. Both of those guys are unreal. Jason Taylor's in the Hall of Fame, and there's a chance Cameron Wake gets in just because he was that fucking good. His numbers are just insanity. Jalen Phillips, he's gonna have every, you know he's gonna have guys to look up to. He's gonna have a coach that's gonna get the most out of him. And I, dude, the guy was a beast. The guy was a beast. You should look at his tape against Clemson, man. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And he's got the body. He's like 6'4", 6'5", coming off the edge with speed, length in his arms. It's a big time, man. I think he's going to be really, really good. And it just adds to Miami's defensive depth. They were already top five, top three, and they're getting even better with this. I love it. Uh, Kawiti pay to the Colts. Colts always draft well. I, I literally, I will never criticize draft picks from the Chargers and the Colts. To me, they're top five in terms of how they're run uh, front office-wise. They draft well. They sign well. They evaluate quarterbacks well. Now, some people will be like, oh, well, look, we're tired early. Is Carson Wentz really going to be that good? I think Carson Wentz is going to be, listen, he's not going to be amazing. He is not going to be the reason why the Colts win the division, but you're surrounding him with a top five O-line, three running backs, three receivers, three tight ends, one of the best linebacking cores in the NFL. Uh, Safeties are great. And now he's lined up again with the coach that almost got him an MVP, in Philadelphia, if Carson Wentz doesn't do this, he should never get a job again, period, because you're giving him literally everything he needs. That's why I'm so confident about the Colts winning the division, because I think even though the Titans drafted Caleb Farley, number one, yeah, he could be a shutdown corner, but he's got an injury, so who knows? That Titans defense lost guys. They might be a Swiss cheese defense again, and they lost Corey Davis as a wide receiver, so I think the Titans are going backwards they already have the same amount of wins. And now you look at the Colts, it's like they've got everything. And all Carson Wentz has to do to me is feed the targets. That's all he's got to be. He doesn't even have to be MVP level Wentz. Uh, that's a tangent that I just went on. But Colts draft well. I'm, I'm confident in Kawiti Pay. Darashaw to the Vikings. They need a no lineman. Uh, Najee Harris will dress the running backs here. Najee Harris to the Steelers. I mentioned earlier Travis Etienne to the Jaguars. Love both these picks. Najee Harris. Might be the offensive rookie of the year. It could be Waddle. It could also be Najee Harris, and he might be a Le'Veon Bell type of guy for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, but I don't think the Steelers are a playoff team. I still think 
it's a nice addition for the Steelers there with Najee. Yeah, I mean, look, you get a guy that can take, you know, take the rock 30 times a game like that and, and take some, you know, beating and, and keep the clock rolling, I think is, is always huge. It's huge from both sides of the ball. So I, I think it's a it's a good pick. I, running back uh, isn't the only issue that the Steelers have. I think the biggest issue for them is, is Big Ben. His arm is completely deflated. Uh, the ball doesn't come out with any zip and he's throwing interceptions and he can't move for shit in the pocket so will Najee Harris solve that I don't know I I don't I don't know but he's going to be great for them and he's an immediate upgrade at running back and he brings that ground pound style to the Steelers fan base that they've always been used to seeing exactly exactly and then uh, I think the Ravens they had two very late round picks that were high value wide receiver Rashad Bateman what did uh, Lamar Jackson need he needed weapons you get him Rashad Bateman, Sammy Watkins coming in. That's two guys right there. That really helps out. I like that. And then I got this pick right in the draft challenge that we did. Jason Owa to the Baltimore Ravens. They lost inside linebacker Judon. They got the best inside linebacker available in the draft, Jason Owa. I love the late round picks for the Ravens there. Um, and then we forgot. I completely glossed over the Justin Fields pick, which, I, dude, I have been saying for years. Every time there's a mobile quarterback – on the loose in the trade market. I'm always like bears, bears, bears. I did it with Cam. I did it with Teddy Bridgewater. I did it with Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson. I'm like, this is what the bears need. They need a mobile quarterback. Who's got a good arm. I think Justin Fields might be the best option out of all of them. Why Russell Wilson, you would have had to give up the house Deshaun Watson. You would have had to give up the house. Um, Teddy Bridgewater. I think Justin Fields is going to be way better than Teddy Bridgewater. And I think uh, Cam Newton, yeah, Justin Fields is now, I don't know if he'll ever be MVP Cam, but he's got a higher ceiling than Cam Newton right now. This is amazing by the Bears. They made the playoffs with Trubisky and Foles. Now they have Fields in there. I don't know if he'll start right away. Andy Dalton, a placeholder, but they've always had the defense with Khalil Mack. Allen Robinson's got to be a lot happier now. Tariq Cohen, Washington, running back. They still have good tight ends. I love this pick by the Chicago Bears. Finally, some intelligence there. Yep. They needed to do this, man. They needed it so bad. They needed a new face in that locker room. Now, I don't know if Justin Fields is all that excited because he didn't seem like he was all that excited, but he's used to playing in the cold. He's used to playing with those Big Ten schools where, like, literally by October, November, the weather is kind of shitty, rainy, cold. Uh, that's going to be a lot of Chicago and uh, the Packers and um, who else is in their division? I know the Lions, but who's the fourth team there? The Vikings, um, which, you know, fortunately he's got two domes there, but, you know, he's playing in Chicago. He's playing in Green Bay. Uh, NFC is a, a lot of teams that are like that with the weather. He's got the arm. He's got the, the experience. Um, who knows, man? Something happened with Justin Fields. There's a reason why teams weren't gung-ho about him top 10. They weren't gung-ho about him top 10 or top five or even top three. They were like, absolutely not. So who knows? I don't really know why Justin Fields slipped that far. But he's going to a place where he knows he's probably going to be the guy. So see what they can do. I mean, they're always going to have an elite defense, and that's always good for a rookie quarterback. So, And the bar isn't very high. Trubisky sucked ass. So you just have to be a little bit better than Trubisky, and you're already one up. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that that's exactly the point right there. So, uh, yeah, we went over the NHL today, uh, all the playoff matchups currently going on. We went over the NFL draft review. 
Um, we're not, we haven't been doing as many strictly sports. We're kind of trying to uh, branch out. We've been doing all the spinoff podcasts, if you will. Strictly baseball and hockey are out every Monday. Strictly Yankees is out once every week or so. Strictly Rangers, now that the season's over, we're going to do it whenever big events come. But during the season, Strictly Rangers will be every week. Um, and then this pod, when football season's back, we're going to be back on the grind, uh, giving weekly predictions, betting. Uh, we'll have betters cornerback with CJ uh, in that time. And can't wait for football season because this is the main pod. FAU football to talk about, all that good stuff. Um, come August, September time, that'll be awesome when training camp opens up. So go listen to Strictly Hockey. We did it yesterday. It's on YouTube. Look us up. Strictly Sports Productions. First result on YouTube, go to the channel, go to the playlist section. All five of our podcasts are separated into the playlist section. We're also on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify as well. Links are in the description. Follow us on Twitter at Strictly Sports P and on Facebook and Instagram at Strictly Sports Productions. For CJ Yuri, I'm Jacob Brown, and we will see you next time.